Hi everyone and welcome to my A to Z of musicals and this week we're going to be listening to all things beginning with the letter M. Now I have to tell you before we even get started that M is the busiest letter so far. In fact what I've had to do is split this show into two parts, part one today and part two next week because there are so many important and brilliant letter M people and shows and I didn't want to miss out anything important. So I hope you enjoy this show. If you do, please will you leave me a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast because it really helps me to build my audience numbers. So let's get straight in with letter M. Now, an absolute family favourite of ours was the 1964 classic Disney film, Mary Poppins. And I had the vinyl album of the original soundtrack and used to play it constantly. And almost by osmosis, it sunk into everybody else in the family. And we would find ourselves singing, let's go fly a kite for years and years to come. And still today, if we're together, we we can all join in with tuppence for paper and string. This film is magical and iconic. I love it. It was such um, a joyous part of my childhood, but still today as an adult. The film was a huge success with universal acclaim when it was released on the 27th of August 1964. And it was because Walt's daughters had absolutely loved the books that he really pushed hard to get the author Pamela L. Travers to agree to the Disney company making the film and she did agree reluctantly and wasn't very happy with proceedings and the final outcome and you can see that story in the Disney film Saving Mr Banks that was released in 2013 with a wonderful Emma Thompson as P.L. Travers and Tom Hanks as Walt Disney. The film won five Academy Awards and was actually nominated for 13. It won Best Original Music Score for, of course, the Sherman Brothers and Best Song for Chim Chim Cheree. It also won Best Scoring uh, of Music by Erwin Costal and he had worked on so many other great films including West Side Story, The Sound of Music, Half a Sixpence, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Bedknobs and Broomsticks and Pete's Dragon. Absolute genius that he was. The film also was directed by Robert Stevenson and he worked on 19 Disney films overall, including Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Julie Andrews, of course, played the part of Mary Poppins and this was her film debut. So how amazing that she won the Academy Award for Best Actress that year. This was the only Disney film that was nominated for Best Film during Walt Disney's lifetime, which is staggering, really. A a few little uh, facts. Marnie Nixon, the great ghost singer, um, voiced three of the geese in the Jolly Holiday scene, three Cockney geese who sang. Uh, David Tomlinson, who played the wonderful Mr Banks, was also the voice of Mary Poppins' parrot umbrella, uh, which I think is wonderful to know. Um, Richard M and Robert B Sherman wrote the music and songs for this film, and they were subsequently or most of them were subsequently incorporated into the new musical adaptation or stage production that started work in England in 2003 with workshops and then tryouts in Bristol in September 2004 before opening in the West End on the 15th of December 2004. And so most of the original songs were kept, but also new songs were written 
by the fabulous Styles and Drew, including that gorgeous song, Practically Perfect, and also Anything Can Happen. The script for the stage production was by Julian Fellows, and Matthew Bourne and Stephen Meir uh, co-choreographed the show. And of course, Stephen Meir, the fantastic choreographer, whose name, surname, also begins with the letter M. I'm really lucky to have seen Mary Poppins on stage several times, actually. I saw the original cast in the West End with the wonderful Laura Michelle Kelly as Mary Poppins and Gavin Creel as Bert. And in fact, in 2004, Andrew Lloyd Webber wanted Laura Michelle Kelly for his new revival of The Sound of Music. She turned it down to take on the role of Mary Poppins and well done to her for doing so because it, it, she was fantastic in this show. So Andrew Lloyd Webber ended up searching for his new uh, Maria for The Sound of Music through a TV search show, talent show called How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria? And of course, that's when we discovered Connie Fisher. I can't think of many moments in a theatre that have been so heartwarming and uplifting and joyful as the final scene in Mary Poppins when she flies not only across the stage but right out and over the audience and it's just breathtaking. It brings tears to my eyes when I experience that moment. It's so beautiful and magical. It really is magic. And uh, I've been lucky to see some amazing Mary Poppins. I've seen, of course, Laura Michelle Kelly and then Scarlett Strallen, who I saw four times as Mary Poppins. Just magnificent. I think she is my favourite Mary Poppins. And her younger sister, who's currently in the role, Zizi Strallen, I've seen her twice as well. The show is currently waiting to reopen in the West End with Zizi Strallen and Charlie Stemp. And if you haven't seen this show, it's so wonderful. You should go and see it. And of course, Mary Poppins didn't finish there. In 2018, we had the sequel to the film Mary Poppins Returns, directed by Rob Marshall, starring Emily Blunt as Mary Poppins and Lin-Manuel Miranda as Jack. This is a really lovely and nostalgic nod to the original, but also magical in its own special ways. So Mary Poppins, for me, complete joy and an absolute must mention in my letter M, of my A to Z of musicals. Every single thing about my next musical icon and legend and uber talent is over the top. The fabulous Anne Miller, who I just love. Her iconic jet black raven bouffant hair and that slash of red lipstick and the most incredible dancing, particularly tap dancing. She danced at such a, a staggering speed that people have called it machine gun tap. Although interestingly, she has said in interviews that the sound of the tapping, in, particularly in those um, MGM musical movies, was added later. It's genuinely her tapping, but she had to wear rubber treads on her shoes because the stage and studio floors were waxed and so she would add by tapping on tap board later uh, the sound of her shoes, which is amazing, isn't it? Um, Anne Miller was inspired by Eleanor Powell and she talks about this in her own uh, autobiography called Miller's High Life that she wrote in 1972. And Anne Miller actually was psychic and very spiritual and she would claim that Eleanor Powell would actually come to visit her at night. Uh, well, maybe she did, maybe she didn't, but what, what a character, what a character she was. In 1930, 
she performed on stage in uh, a Broadway review called George White's Scandals. And this was her Broadway debut. Actually, George White had been a dancer in the Ziegfeld Follies earlier. And then he set up his own George White's Scandals as a rival to the Ziegfeld Follies. And they ran from 1919 for 20 years, uh, including sometimes being made into films and having music written for them by the amazing composer George Gershwin. Uh, in 1936, she was spotted by Lucille Ball and a, a, a talent scout called Benny Rubin. They were visiting a nightclub where Ann Miller was dancing and they saw this amazing talent with her long legs and uh, just were so blown away by her talent that they suggested she come along for some Hollywood auditions and that's how she kind of got into the, uh, the film business and, and she was signed up by RKO under contract making a few films that were uncredited including Anna Green Gables uh, films like Stage Door where she starred alongside Ginger Rogers Too Many Girls where she was with Lucille Ball and her future husband Desi Arnaz and uh, lots and lots of small roles. 18 musical films she did before she was paired with Fred Astaire in the 1948 classic Easter Parade, which I talk about in the episode letter E, if you want to hear a little bit more about that. But Anne Miller was only given the part because Sid Charisse, who'd actually already been offered the role, had broken her leg. And interestingly, of course, uh, Anne Miller was taller than Fred Astaire when she had her heels on. So she had to dance with him with flat ballet slippers. And you can see that in the routines in the film. She was also actually uh, billed in the 1938 Frank Capra film, You Can't Take It With You, which is a really nice uh, role in that film. But the, the role started to grow. Uh, but were never the lead. She was always kind of second female, uh, but she was so great to watch in films like On the Town in 1949, Lovely to Look At in 1952, and of course Kiss Me Kate, which I talk about in the Letter K episode, and Hit the Deck in 1955. As all those MGM musicals started to come to an end in the late 50s, early 60s, because they lost their appeal. Um, Anne Miller performed more to live audiences in the late 50s, entertaining the troops. And then throughout the 60s and 70s, on stage in shows that just drew the crowds because her name was such a big name. In 1969, she scored a Broadway triumph when she replaced Angela Lansbury in MAME. And uh, she really got rave reviews for this. And um, I hear that they added a tap routine just for her, uh, which just makes me laugh thinking about the story of MAME. But um, good for her. And she went on lots of tours of shows like Can Can, she played Reno Sweeney in Anything Goes and Dolly Levi in Hello Dolly. And her biggest Broadway success, I suppose, was in 1979 when she starred alongside Mickey Rooney in the popular Broadway tribute to burlesque Sugar Babies. And this ran for nearly three years on Broadway and then subsequent tour as well. And uh, of course, she and Mickey Rooney were both um, Hollywood legends and so people would go to see them with that kind of nostalgic feel to the show. She continued performing and uh, she had her last live dance performance in 1989 when she attended the opening of the MGM Studios at Walt Disney World in Florida and her final ever stage performance was in a 1998 production of Follies when she played Carlotta singing I'm Still Here. And I really love that the um, satirical review Forbidden Broadway 
has taken Anne Miller to their hearts because they clearly love her. And Gerard Alessandrini, the composer and the, the man with all that comic talent for rewriting those classic songs, he adapted the song I'm Entertainment. At, at That's Entertainment, he called it I'm Entertainment for Anne Miller. And there's that absolutely brilliant line, I killed Louis Mayer by hitting him with my hair. <laughs> and she really, in my mind, she really is entertainment. Uh, for Ben Broadway, I also did the, the song I'm Still Here, but called it I'm Still Weird. And fair enough, really. <laughs> um, one of the things I love on Twitter every Monday uh, is that the wonderful choreographer Stephen Meir posts a weekly photograph of it and Miller and calls it uh, Miller Monday and of course Stephen Meir another great letter M so I'm going to finish Anne Miller with that hysterical um, story of how she created the most elaborate television commercial ever in 1970 she was in the Heinz Great American Soup ad where she tap danced on top of an eight foot can of soup surrounded by chorus girls and fountains inspired of course by the brilliant Busby Berkeley and her husband apparently said to her why must you make such a big production out of everything I think it was her the husband in the ad said that's what you just think that's Anne Miller. Following the absolutely huge success of Les Miserables, our wonderful pair, Claude Michel, Schoenberg and Alan Boublil, brought us three more musicals, all beginning with the letter M. Uh, not all necessarily as successful as each other. The first one in 1989 being Miss Saigon. This is a, another sung-through show with music by Claude Michel, lyrics by Alan Boublil and Richard Maltby Jr. And they both worked on the book. And this is, in a way, similar to Les Mis. It's a heartbreaking tragedy, but this time it's set in 1975 in Saigon, based on Puccini's 1904 opera, Madame Butterfly, but this is where, before Saigon, changed from American to communist Vietnam control. And our story tells of how Kim is trapped in Saigon and it's absolutely heart-wrenching. Um, in fact, the inspiration for this new story and the setting was a photograph uh, that uh, Claude Michel saw that showed a distraught Viet Vietnamese mother handing over her child to America, sending her off to a safety in America. And it really is a, a, a devastating photograph. The show uh, was nominated and won two Olivier Awards uh, for its leading stars, Leia Salonga, who played the original Kim, and uh, Jonathan Price, who played the engineer. The show actually ran for 4,264 performances. Pretty good run, wasn't it? And in spite of some of the challenges that the show faced on its way to Broadway, it also ran for 4,092 performances, ultimately, on Broadway. Um, the show had struggles in getting there because there were all kinds of allegations of racism emerging after the white British actor Jonathan Price was um, cast to reprise the role of the engineer and Miss Saigon underrepresented Eastern, uh, East Asian actors, particularly male East Asian actors. And uh, there were all kinds of arguments between Cameron McIntosh and American Actors Equity Association and in fact Cameron McIntosh even put an advert out to say that the show was going to be cancelled. Things were finally um, sorted out shall we say and Jonathan Price did play the engineer on Broadway 
but that has changed since. And in the 2014 revival, it was actually a Filipino actor, John John Briones, who played the engineer in the Broadway and, um, and also the West End revival. I have now seen Miss Saigon on stage 12 times over the years. And I have to say that I wasn't really very keen the first two times. I found it a bit complicated and uh, heavy and I didn't know the music. Of course, over time, this show has grown to be one of my absolute favourites. I'd certainly say it's in my top five favourite shows ever. And it's so beautiful. And now when I see it, I'm so invested in the journey of Kim particularly. My favourite Kim has to be Joanna Ampill. And I saw her in the West End and on tour actually in the UK. And you can hear her on the complete symphonic recording of Miss Saigon as well. And her, her performance is just beautiful and heartbreaking. I also was lucky to see Ava Noblezada twice actually. I saw her in the West End when the show opened in May of 2014 for the 25th anniversary revival, uh, along with the whole of the West End original cast, actually. This was a beautiful cast um, with Rachel Ann Goh, who starred as Gigi, and she actually went on to be in the original West End cast of Hamilton as Eliza Schuyler. Also in the cast, I was hugely impressed with Quang Ho Hong, who starred as Tui and gave an absolutely masterful performance. And then I saw Ava Noblezada on Broadway in the Broadway revival. The show opened on the 23rd of March uh, 2017 at the Broadway Theatre, where it had actually originally opened back in 1991. And uh, again, it was just a fantastic performance. So Miss Saigon beautiful, wonderful, fabulous. Then Claude Michel Schoenberg and Alan Bublil brought us Martin Guerre. Now, I absolutely love this show and I know that it had mixed reviews and it failed to match the box office success of Les Mis and Miss Saigon. But the show ran for two years, 675 performances. That's not shoddy. It opened on the 10th of July 1996 at the wonderful Prince Edward Theatre. And yes, the show did struggle to kind of determine itself, if you like. It was constantly going through changes, changes of lyrics and changes of order. New songs were brought in, songs were taken out. Um, new lyrics were added. The original lyrics by Alan Bublil and Edward Hardy. And then Stephen Clark was brought in to augment the, the lyrics. Uh, but it was just such a beautiful sound. And the show uh, had a cast with Ian Glenn as Arno de Teal, Rebecca Locke as Bertrand de Roll, and Matt Rawl as Martin Guerre. Just a gorgeous, gorgeous team. And the, the cast recording just reflects that beautiful sound that Schoenberg and Bublil make. Um, the West End production was directed by Declan Donnelly, who actually was the co-founder of Cheek by Jowl Theatre Company, and he'd already directed uh, the 1993 National Theatre production of Sweeney Todd. Even though the show closed for four days in October 1996 and was pretty much completely revised, uh, it still went on to win two Olivier Awards, one for Best Musical and one for Best Choreography by Bob Avian. The show was then revised and rewritten again for a December 1998 production at the West Yorkshire Playhouse in Leeds. And again, it had practically been rewritten, but it managed to go on a UK tour and ultimately, this production went to the US for a tour there, although more changes happened as well with that production. It never made it to Broadway, which is such a shame. Um, 
There were lots of confusions, really, with the story, particularly about the identity of Martin Guerre. Uh, who knew? Did Bertrand know? Should she know? Uh, and it was very complicated. In 2007, Craig Revel Horwood uh, produced and directed a production at the Newbury Watermill Theatre, uh, a beautiful theatre in England. And this was based largely on the original 1996 version with some of the revised 98 version incorporated. I do hear rumours every now and then of a possible Martin Guerre revival and my fingers and toes are crossed. And so the third and final letter M musical by Schoenberg and Bublil is the 2008 show Marguerite. This was actually written differently. The music this time was by Michel Legrand, not Claude Michel. But Claude Michel and Alan Bublil wrote the book along with Jonathan Kent and lyrics by Alan Bublil and their previous collaborator, Herbert Kretzmer. The show is based on a romantic novel, La Dame aux Camélia, by Alexander Dumas. And this time they've set the show in 1940s German-occupied Paris. And actually, the cast were wonderful. They had the beautiful Ruthie Henshaw as Marguerite, who I believe gave a stunning performance. And, of course, the wonderful Alexander Hansen, Julian Ovenden, Annaline Beachy and Gay Soper. And there is a lovely uh, cast recording, actually, of this production. In spite of this, and in spite of the fact it also had three Olivier nominations, the show closed early on the 13th of September 2008. And I was so lucky, actually, because I saw the show only a few days before it closed. There have been a couple of productions since, uh, one in the Czech Republic with lots of changes being made again, that was in 2010, and then in October 2012, the wonderful Alex Parker and his team staged a production at the Tabard Theatre, again with a new book by Alan Bublil. So I don't think we've seen the last of Marguerite. It does need some reworking, yes, but there's some beautiful songs and gorgeous music, as always, from the amazing team of Claude Michel Schoenberg and Alan Bublil. A show that's not that well known, beginning with the letter M, is Rodgers and Hammerstein's Me and Juliet. And this is a romantic comedy which was the sixth collaboration between Richard Rogers, the composer, and uh, Oscar Hammerstein II, the lyricist. And, of course, they'd had such great success with shows like Oklahoma and Carousel and The King and I. This show, Me and Juliet, is a show within a show, and it's set in the 1950s in a Broadway theatre, and it's telling the story of a Broadway theatre community and it premiered in Cleveland in 1953 and then moved for further tryouts to Boston before a 28th of May Broadway opening in 1953. Starring Isabel Bigley, who'd recently originated the role of Sarah Brown in Guides and Dolls on Broadway. She was joined by Bill Hayes, and the show did have a modest success with over 500 performances in total, but no Tony nominations at all. In fact, Oscar Hammerstein II did later say, I hate that show. Uh, there is a really lovely song in this show called No Other Love, which is probably the most recorded song from the show. And there is an original cast recording with Isabel Bigley and Bill Hayes. So, Me and Juliet, not a great success, but a moderate success that did recoup the money that had been invested in it. I'd like to talk about the genius that is Timothy David Minchin, Tim Minchin, um, Australian born actually in England but raised in Perth in Western Australia and best known originally for his comedies, musical comedy 
and uh, studio and live albums. And then actually quite a number of films and television appearances. But for me, his work in musical theatre is phenomenal. He does have actually his own background in theatre. He starred as Amadeus in 2006, uh, as Don Quixote in Man of La Mancha, as Pontius Pilate in Jesus Christ Superstar. But it was his work on the RSC production of Matilda, a musical, it was called a musical originally, um, based on the Roald Dahl book from 1988. And Tim Minchin composed the music, wrote the lyrics, and worked alongside Dennis Kelly, who wrote and adapted the book, and director Matthew Warchus. And this is a brilliant team, actually. Uh, the show opened in uh, Stratford-upon-Avon and ran for 12 weeks from the 9th of December 2010 until it transferred to the West End at the Cambridge Theatre, actually, in 2011, where I've seen the production a number of times. I was very lucky to see the original Miss Trunchbull, Bertie Carvel. He was Brilliant, so funny and uh, so clever, his performance. Bertie Carvel is an absolute magnificent actor. Uh, alongside the gorgeous Lauren Ward as Miss Honey, who incidentally is married to um, Matthew Warchus, now the artistic director of The Old Vic. Um, and uh, one of the original Matildas, actually, was Carrie Ingram, and she was the only um, Matilda who performed in Stratford-upon-Avon and then also went to the West End. Since then, she starred in the TV epic series of Game of Thrones as Shireen Baratheon and uh, was fabulous in that. When the show opened in the West End on the 24th of November 2011, it was now called Matilda the Musical and it was nominated and won seven Olivier Awards including Best Musical, Best Director for Matthew Warchus, Best Actor for Bertie Carvel, Best Actress went to the four girls who were all playing Matilda and uh, Best Choreography for Peter Darling. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant choreography in that show. Best set design for um, Rob Howell, and that again was a phenomenal set. Uh, and best sound design, best sound as well. So uh, absolutely well deserved. And I really love this show. It has one of my favourite songs of musical theatre in the last twenty years, which is "When I Grow Up," which is so beautiful and uh, nostalgic and and tugs at your heartstrings. Uh, there's a fantastic original cast album, which I play regularly. The show went to Broadway and opened on the 11th of April 2013, and Bertie Carvel and Lauren Ward reprised their roles, and it ran until the 1st of January 2017 and closed after 1,555 performances winning five Tonys out of 12 nominations. And there is now um, going to be a Netflix film adaptation and it's currently in the works. Tim Minchin has written new songs and new music for the film. And quite a bit of the cast has been uh, announced already with Alison Weir as Matilda, Sindhu V, Stephen Graham, who's recently been in Line of Duty, Lashana Lynch, uh, Andrea Riseborough, and Emma Thompson is going to play Miss Trunchbull. So Tim Minchin's first musical, for me an absolute success, was Matilda. And then Tim Minchin went on to work with many of that same team, actually, Matthew Watchers again and Peter Darling, Rob Howell, on his second musical, Groundhog Day.
This was based on the 1993 film of the same name, which, if I'm really honest, I wasn't a big fan of. But the show is phenomenal. It's so clever and funny and brilliant, really, it is. Um, it opened in London on the 16th of August, officially, 2016, with it being the world premiere, and a fairly short, limited run at the Old Vic. Tim Minchin wrote music and lyrics with book by Danny Rubin, who would, of course, have been involved in the original book screenplay of the film. The show received really positive five-star reviews and was nominated for eight Olivier Awards, winning two for Best New Musical and Best Actor Andy Carl, who played the lead role of Phil Connors, the TV weatherman. The show then transferred to Broadway and it was a slow opening because it's quite a technical show and there were uh, challenges with the technology, but it officially opened on the 17th of April 2017 at the August Wilson Theatre. Sadly, it only ran for 176 performances plus 31 previews and I don't really understand why because I was really lucky to see this show on Broadway during that short run and it blew me away. The original Broadway cast recording is truly magnificent and I play that regularly and the music is so uh, stunning and heartbreaking really. Some of the songs, Seeing You and One Day and There Will Be Sun, it, it's just a, a, a magnificent score. Tim Minchin really is a musical genius. The show was nominated for seven Tony Awards and didn't win any, which to me makes no sense at all. So Tim Minchin, two absolutely brilliant musicals and there's so much more left in him. He is apparently working on new musical uh, theatre works and I cannot wait to see what he comes up with next. Tim Minchin. Now, my next Letter M musical is one that I had never heard of until just over a year ago when I did a poll on Twitter to ask people what their top 10 favourite musicals of all time were. And actually, this one scored points, especially from my new Russian Twitter friend, Lilia. And the show is Mozart, L'Opera Rock. Mozart, the rock opera. And it's a French rock musical with um, music and book and directed on stage by Dove Attia and a whole bunch of creatives. And it basically tells the story, as you'd expect, of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart from the age of only 17 to his young death at age 35. First of all, don't mistake this musical for Mozart, the 1999 Austrian musical. This show premiered in Paris at the Palais des Sports de Paris on the 22nd of September 2009 and it was a lavish production with Michelangelo Leconte as Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart and Florent Moth as Salieri and the show actually ran for three and a half months before it went on a tour of France Belgium and Switzerland, then a couple of more months in Paris and then a further second tour before closing on the 10th of July 2011. Now the show actually got quite mixed reviews but a big fan base has grown particularly across Europe although the show has since toured in Korea and Taiwan and Shanghai, starring Michelangelo Leconte still as Mozart. And in fact, this show thrust him into stardom. He had a number one hit single with one of the songs, Tatou Moi, 
in France in 2009. Now, I have to say that this really has got some fantastic and really catchy songs. And whilst never having heard of it, I now find myself drawn to listening to the first cast album that was released in April 2009, which has 12 tracks on it. And there has been a subsequent complete recording with the full 27 songs. And the show was filmed and released on DVD. And actually, I've seen it on YouTube. So if you're interested in finding out more about Mozart, L'Opera Rock, check it out on YouTube. I really enjoy the music. The story probably needs a bit of work, uh, but it's it's a great a great soundtrack. Enjoy. Now, there are only 16 people in the world at the time of recording this podcast who are EGOT winners. That means that they have won Emmys, Grammys, Oscars and Tonys. And my next musical uh, icon, really, is Alan Menkin. And he is one of those 16 EGOT winners. And of course, we know that even though he did loads of work in reviews and writing songs and shows, his first big hit came with Little Shop of Horrors when he wrote the music and Howard Ashman wrote the lyrics for the fantastic and very, very popular still show of Little Shop of Horrors, which I talked about in my letter L podcast. So... There's more detail there if you want to go back and listen. Because of the success of Little Shop of Horrors, the Walt Disney Studios hired both Alan Menken and Howard Ashman in 1987, and they began work straight away. In fact, Menken wrote a song for the 1988 Disney film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit?, um, but it was the 1989 animated classic, The Little Mermaid, that changed everything around, not just for um, Menken and Ashman, but also for the Disney Studios. Of course, it was the 1989 animated classic, The Little Mermaid, that changed everything not just for Alan Menken and Howard Ashman, but also for the Walt Disney Studios, because this was the start of the Disney Renaissance or Renaissance. This film was so popular and so successful, people loved it. And it actually brought about the first Oscar win for Menken and Ashman. They won Best Song, Under the Sea, and Alan Menken also won an Oscar for Best Score. And The Little Mermaid, of course, has had a life beyond this animated classic. In 2008, it opened on Broadway. And I think it's fair to say that this was, relatively speaking, not as successful or popular as any of the other Disney stage productions. In fact, I did go to see this show whilst it was on its relatively short run on Broadway. And, of course, the wonderful Sierra Boggis was playing Ariel, and she was wonderful. She just was gorgeous in this part. But the staging overall was not great, in my opinion, and uh, I can see why it didn't really do that well. It would be nice to think it would come back in a new production at some point. And work is currently underway on the live-action film version of The Little Mermaid with new songs by Alan Menken and the wonderful Lin-Manuel Miranda. And of course, Lin-Manuel is a letter M and we'll be hearing a little bit about him in part two of the Letter M podcast next time. Then uh, Ashman and Menken went on to work on the next hugely successful Disney animated classic, Beauty and the Beast, which was re released in 1991 and won two more Oscars for them for Best Song, uh, 
obviously the title song and best score. And this show has gone on to have uh, a life on stage far more successful than the Little Mermaid production. Beauty and the Beast opened on Broadway in 1994 and ran for 13 years. And actually, there's going to be a UK touring production starting later this year in 2021. And it's been announced just this week, actually, that Dame Angela Lansbury will do the voiceover of the prologue at the start of the show. What a treat that's going to be. I, I cannot wait. I've got my tickets all ready to see this new production. And, of course, we had the live-action film version in 2017. Also, Disney Plus are working on a new television series called The Little Town. And it's a prequel to Beauty and the Beast centred around the characters of Gaston and Le Fou, and the wonderful Josh Gad and Luke Evans will reprise their roles that they played in the film when this TV series comes to Disney+. There's a huge list of other shows that Alan Menken has composed for, including Newses, which was a 1992 film for Disney, and then, of course, the 2012 stage adaptation, which starred the super-talented Jeremy Jordan. Uh, also, Alan Menken worked with Lynn Ahrens, the lyricist from Ragtime and Once on this Island, on a show called A Christmas Carol in 1994, and Sister Act in 2009, and Loads more Disney films, including Hunchback of Notre Dame and Pocahontas, where he worked with uh, Stephen Schwartz. Uh, Hercules in 1997, where he worked with David Zippel. Uh, Home on the Range, Enchanted, and he's working again, actually, with Stephen Schwartz on the new songs for the upcoming Disenchanted, the sequel to the 2007 Enchanted film starring Amy Adams. So many, so many great uh, musical films and stage shows. He also composed the, the musical A Bronx Tale. And uh, he is currently working on a stage musical adaptation of Animal Farm, the George Orwell novel and the film Night at the Museum. Plus, he's writing a new, brand new musical called Greetings from Niagara Falls. I know I've missed out loads there because there's so much to say about Alan Menken, but just to give you a, a, a kind of a, a snapshot there of how much this amazing musical genius has done, Alan Menken. In fact, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman did compose songs during 1989 and 1990 for the children's television series Sesame Street. And I want to talk for just a few minutes about the wonderful Muppets who starred on this TV show. Muppets, of course, beginning with the letter M. The Muppets were created by Jim Henson and actually were originally on a television series even before Sesame Street called Salmon Friends that ran from 1955 to 1961 and Kermit the Frog was amongst the earliest creations that Jim Henson worked on and of course Kermit is famous for uh, leading the Muppet show and the Muppet movies over the years. Kermit and his friends starred on Sesame Street from 1969 and the show's still going strong even today. And in 1976, of course, because of the increasing popularity of these characters, we had The Muppet Show, which ran for five years and had the most incredible guests on, including people like Liza Minnelli and Julie Andrews. And actually, this show brought us Miss Piggy, who was performed by Frank Oz. Miss Piggy was inspired by the jazz singer Peggy Lee. And of course, because of the success of the Muppet Show TV series, we started to get 
wonderful Muppet films. The first one being the Muppet movie in 1979, which is memorable for also bringing us the first time rendition of Rainbow Connection, which was written by Paul Williams and Kenneth Asher. And they'd actually worked on the 1976 Barbara Streisand version of A Star Is Born. Rainbow Connection, I always think of when I think of Kermit, and it's such a beautiful performance. And we had lots of Muppet films, The Great Muppet Caper, The Muppet State Manhattan, uh, The Muppet Christmas Carol, which of course had the gorgeous Meredith Braun starring as Belle, and famously the song Where Love Is Gone, which was deleted from the original theatrical release. You can now see Happily Restored on Disney Plus and Meredith Braun actually released her own solo album in 2017 titled Where Love Is Gone and uh, she is one of my favourite West End performers. We had the new Muppets film in 2011 which was kind of like a creative reboot with Amy Adams and Jason Segal and Chris Cooper and it was a critical and commercial success and actually had um, won an Academy Award for Best Song for Man or Muppet written by Brett McKenzie. This, the film had great songs, in particularly that opening routine, Life's a Happy Song. And the Muppets, I felt, needed a special mention for the letter M. And so there we are at the end of part one of Letter M. And we've still got so many shows we've not talked about. So let's think, who've we missed? Well, we haven't talked about Mamma Mia, the 1999 West End hit show with songs from ABBA and the subsequent film from 2008 and the sequel from 2018, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. But don't worry, I will be talking about those when I look at the letter U for Bjorn Ulvaeus, one of the members, of course, of ABBA. We've not talked about Made in Dagenham, the 2014 musical based on the film of the same name, which I saw at the Adelphi Theatre in the West End with Gemma Arterton. Um, we haven't talked about the 1917 musical Maytime, with music by Sigmund Romberg and lyrics by Rita Johnson Young. And of course, Sigmund Romberg brought us in the 1920s those wonderful shows, The Student Prince, The Desert Song and The New Moon. Uh, we haven't talked about Mr. Cinders from 1928, which had Bobby Howes in the original cast as the Cinderella character, Jim Lancaster. We haven't talked about the 1990s show Moby Dick, which is about a girls' school who decide to stage Herman Melville's um, famous novel, Moby Dick, in their school swimming pool. And we've not talked about the jukebox musical Moving Out, based on all the songs from Billy Joel. Anyway, that's it for today, for part one. Part two will be dropped next week. I hope you've enjoyed listening and until next time, have a Doris Day.